Go ahead and uh, grab a Bible, turn to Colossians chapter 1. And as you're turning there, let me just tell you today, we're, we're starting a new series that we're calling Praying with Paul, Cultivating a Life of Prayer. And um, over the next few weeks, we're going to really be dialing in to uh, cultivating a life of prayer. And so as you're, as you're kind of turning there and kind of get set up, I want to tell you about a couple of opportunities for us as a church family. All right, so part of the vision that God has given us as a church is we just simply want to be a praying church. We want to be a church that's gathered to pray together and to ask for God's blessing uh, on the world and on the community and on our church and on our families and our marriages and our lives. And so we have an event that we're going to be doing on Sunday night, October 3rd at 6.30, and it's, it's a prayer gathering. And we're just going to be gathering in here on a Sunday night, and we're going to pray for an hour. And so we're going to have a little bit of time of worship. We're going to break up into groups of, I don't know, 10, 15 to 20, just throughout the room, throughout the foyer. And we're going to spend some time, church, praying for our country. We're going to spend some time praying for our community. We're going to spend some time praying for our church and the ministries of our church. And we're going to spend some time praying for our congregation members, okay? So I want you to be a part of that. On, on Sunday night at 6.30, we, we have child care that's available uh, for the real little ones. And we're designing it that way for a purpose because if you've got, you know, elementary kids, we want you to bring them with you because they can learn how to pray by being around people who are praying. And so they need to be a part of that. And so I want to encourage you to, to really uh, commit to this on, on Sunday night, uh, October 3rd, or yeah, October 3rd at 6.30. And uh, if, you, if you're kind of concerned, well, are they going to call on me to pray out loud in public? And the answer is no. We're not going to put you in an uncomfortable uh, spot. We, we want to just encourage you to pray silently if, if, you don't, if you'd rather not pray out loud. So, but we just want to gather as the church and, and really seek God's blessing uh, on, on our church and in our lives. So everybody get it? All right. Now, go ahead and pull out your phone because I want to show you another opportunity for you to pray. And I want you to go to Facebook. If you have a Facebook account, and I want you to go ahead and pull that up, and I want you to search for Stones Crossing Prayer Group. All right, so I'm going to type that in, Stones Crossing Prayer Group. All right, this is going to be a prayer page, and you'll notice that you have the option there to join. And it'll ask you a couple of questions. Are you a member or are you an attender? And will you post nice things? Okay, so hopefully you, you'll agree to that, all right? So once you answer those questions, you'll get put right into the group. And what, I, what we're using this for, church, is if you have an urgent prayer request that you want people praying for immediately, what will happen is as soon as you post that, it will notify everybody that's in the group. And that way we can pull out our phones, which we're doing a lot of anyway, and uh, we can see that prayer request and we can pray immediately. So go ahead and work through that so that we can get you in that group. Now, I know that uh, there's probably a few of you uh, that don't have Facebook. We still have our prayer wall on our webpage where you can go and post a prayer request on the prayer wall. Pastor Keith will see those. He's our pastor of pastoral care and counseling. He sees those requests and, and he will make sure that 
uh, that we've got a team of people praying for those. So this is a great opportunity for us to really just be a praying church, to be praying for each other, especially when there's something urgent going on that we need, we need each other's prayers. So this is the greatest technology that we can use for the glory of God. So everybody get it? All right, very good. Now, we are, as I said, we're jumping into this series called Praying with Paul, cultivating, you can put your phones away now, so go ahead and do that. Um, yeah, because yeah, I can see you checking Facebook and all that. So. Um, and, so, and so, yeah, we're going to be talking about prayer. And here's the thing I want you to see, church. One of the most, if not the most important part of your spiritual life is your prayer life. And that's not an exaggeration. Church, what I want you to see is prayer catapults us into communion with God. Prayer ushers us into the very presence of God. Prayer brings us before the throne of God's grace in our time of need. And so you ask anybody that walks with God, anybody that you respect their walk with God, and they will tell you that prayer is central. It is the oxygen of their spiritual life. It is of highest importance and highest priority. Now what's fascinating is you see this priority of prayer all throughout the New Testament. The, the letters of the New Testament are just filled with exhortations and encouragements and commands to be devoted to prayer. You look through the book of Acts and one of the things that you'll notice about the early Christians and the early churches is prayer was central to their church life. It was central to their Christian life. They were devoted to prayer. They prayed about everything. There were times in the New Testament where they, they would pray and they would not stop praying until they saw a miraculous answer or a divine deliverance. That's how important prayer is. And that is why the Lord added to their number regularly and daily those who were being saved because they were praying. And then when you look at the life of, of Jesus Christ, you see that prayer was central to his life. I mean, just read through the Gospels, particularly read through the Gospel of Luke and notice the recurrence of how many times Luke mentions Jesus withdrawing by himself, getting away from the crowds and away from the disciples so that he could speak with his heavenly Father. Now, if the Son of God needs to do that, church, how much more do we need to do that? And so prayer is central all throughout the New Testament. But it's not just the New Testament. What you see is this priority of prayer in the lives of Abraham, in the lives of Moses, David, Daniel, Joshua, Jeremiah. You have an entire book of the Bible, the Psalms, which is basically the prayer book of Israel. That's how important prayer is. And so all of this leads to the one immutable truth, and that is this. Prayer is central and core to the Christian life. But there's only one problem. We don't pray. Or at least we don't pray very consistently. I mean, you don't have to raise your hand to this, but how many times in your life have you set a goal to be disciplined and consistent in your prayer life only to fail miserably within three days of setting the goal? Yeah, we've all done that. And so you do it enough times and you get, you get so frustrated that you, you almost want to just kind of give up on prayer altogether. Now, why is that? 
because I think we don't realize that prayer is really hard. It is really hard. And, and so it's tempting for us to assume that prayer is easy for everybody else, but for some reason there must be something wrong because when we pray it just feels awkward, it feels like we don't get anywhere, it just feels kind of stilted, you know, and, and, and so we just kind of give up in frustration. Or, or in other words, we, we, we kind of end up, you know, just being reactionary in our prayer, praying only when things are absolutely desperate or at a crisis level. But here's the thing that I, I really don't want us to miss, and it's this, that real prayer is something that we learn. Real prayer is something that we learn. It's, 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 it's something that takes time to learn how to do. And so that fact alone should be a, a great source of encouragement and freedom for you. I mean, think about this. The disciples went up to Jesus and they said, Lord, will you teach us how to pray? Now, you know, those guys have been raised in good Jewish families. They knew how to pray. But there was something about the quality and the quantity of Jesus praying that made them realize they didn't know anything about prayer. And they're like, Lord, will you teach us? Now, if prayer is something that we can learn, what that means is this. I'm free to ask questions about it. I'm free to search the scriptures about it so I can grow in my understanding and in my knowledge. I'm free to try different models of prayer. I'm free to listen to other people, which is a great way to learn how to pray, by listening to how other people pray. Now, if prayer is something we learn, really the best news of all is this, I'm free to fail and get right back up. And that is really good news. In fact, let me just see a show of hands on this. How many of you have had your mind wander while praying? Let me see a show of hands. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. How many of you had your mind wander while I'm preaching? Uh, let me just say, yeah, <laughs> absolutely. I could see it in your eyes, you know. Um, how about this one? How many, how many of you have had that feeling that when you're praying, your prayers just kind of bounce off the ceiling and come back down? Like they're going nowhere, yeah. How many of you have ever kind of feel like you just pray the same thing over and over and over again? Raise your hand. See, congratulations, church. You are not alone. And all of this speaks to the reality their prayer is difficult. It's challenging. But here's the thing, church. If you will embrace the learning process of prayer, you will begin to get traction in your prayer life. You really will. What happens when you start to get traction is that your life will begin to change as you grow in your understanding of prayer. So instead of being crushed by the, you know, under the weight of anxiety you begin to experience the sweetness of the presence of God in your life. You know, instead of thinking of yourself all the time, where we're just so self-focused and self-absorbed and self-consumed, you begin to be drawn to a God focus and an others-centeredness. That's what prayer does. And so as you grow in prayer, instead of panicking at the first sound of bad news, you, you have a peace in your life because you have this awareness of that God is in control and God has got you in this. Instead of feeling despair over your marital struggles or you know, your, your parenting challenges or your financial shortfalls, you, you, you have this calm about you because, you because you're aware that God is with you and he is he is going to bless you. 
So here's what we're going to do over this series. It's just like the disciples went to Jesus and asked him to teach them how to pray. We're going to go to the Apostle Paul. We're going to ask him that very same question. You see, the Apostle Paul's prayers are recorded and sprinkled throughout the New Testament. And man, when you begin to take time to dissect what he's praying, there's so much we can learn to help our prayer life really get traction and consistency. In fact, I I would say this, church, that the key to a powerful prayer life is the Word of God. That's the key. The key is the Word of God. You You know, just as the Scripture must shape our attitudes and our actions and our beliefs, in our practices, in our entire daily lives, Scripture must shape our praying if we're going to pray with power. And the truth is this, that so much of American Christianity over the last three years has really been preoccupied with this kind of pursuit of felt needs. And what I mean by that is that so much of our focus is just kind of praying that's centered around our happiness and kind of our self-actualization and our self-fulfillment. And so this view of God for a lot of Christians is that God is the one who meets all of our needs. He's the one that fulfills all of our dreams and aspirations. And he's the one who helps us to live our best life now. Now the problem with that is this. That's not how the Apostle Paul prays as we're going to see in this series. Instead, what we see is his praying is filled with thanksgiving and joy because of who God is and what God has done. We see Paul intoxicated by the holiness of God, by the mystery of God, by the power of God, by the grace and the love of God. He's absolutely filled up when he realizes all that God is. You see, we don't see Paul captivated by all the things that we can get from God. What we see is he's captivated with God himself, which I think is the point of prayer. And so what we're going to do is we're going we're to jump in today. We're going to look at one of his prayers uh, in the book of Colossians chapter 1. He, you know, in so many of his letters, he, he really just lays out what he's praying for, for those folks. And uh, it is a huge lesson for us today. So I'm going to invite you, if you're willing and able, would you stand together as we read this passage of Scripture this morning in Colossians chapter 1, verses 3 through 14. So Paul says this, he says, we always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. And of this you've heard before in the word of truth, the gospel which has come to you, as indeed in the whole world, it is bearing fruit and increasing as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God and truth, just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant. He is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the spirit. And so from the day we heard, we've not ceased to pray for you asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. May you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. 
He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. The grass withers and the flowers fade. Not the word of God. It lasts forever. You may be seated. Now I love this prayer. And I think what we see is we see three elements to powerful praying. Right from the prayer of the Apostle Paul. Just three very simple elements that I just want to highlight that I think are really a foundation for our praying. We're going, to look at, we're going to look at his motivation for praying. We're going to look at his continuation. And then we're going to look at his demonstration. So let's look at this first one, the motivation. What was his motivation for praying? Well, let's, let's look at it in verse 9. Notice what the Apostle Paul says in verse 9. And so from the day we heard, we've not ceased to pray for you. So what, what motivates him and this is really getting at the heart of what fueled his passion for prayer is really just the things that he heard about the Christians in Colossae. He had heard the good reports from Epaphras. And this motivated him to pray. And he even mentions it again in verse 3. You know, since we, since we heard of your faith, we, we just haven't stopped, you know, praying for you. And so he gets amped up about about what God has been doing in their life. And he tells us exactly what God is doing in his life because he outlines it. Look with me at verse three. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, since we heard of your faith and the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope that, that you laid up, that's laid up for you in heaven. So, so really what, he's, what he has heard about them very practically is he's heard about their faith in Jesus Christ. He heard that they... That, he, that they had committed their life to Christ. And man, that's what gets a pastor amped up more than anything else. Man, you want to get us excited. That's, that's absolutely what happened. So he had heard that they had come to Christ. And then, then he had heard for their, their love for each other. Which was really the evidence of true conversion that you, that you love other people, right? And so they had become a spiritual family, this church in Colossae. And, and then he had heard about their hope for heaven. Their hope for the future. And, uh, and, so, and so he'd heard about their faith and their love and their hope. Now, this is really incredible, church, because, because he had never been to Colossae. He did not plant this church. He had never met these people. He doesn't know them personally. And that's really convicting, church, because I don't even pray for all the people that I do know. And the Apostle Paul is praying for people that he doesn't. Now, why is that? Well, I think very simply, it's because he hears that God has been moving in their hearts and he just wants that to continue. He believes in the power of prayer. And he, he knows that if he keeps praying, God will keep moving in their hearts. That their faith and their hope and their love will grow even stronger, which is what he really wants for them. And so he knows very simply that when we pray, God works. He knows that when we pray, God moves. He believes in the power of intercessory prayer. Now, do you know what intercessory prayer is? I, I know it sounds real serious and everything, but it, it's really not. It's just when you pray for someone else. That's, that's intercessory prayer. It's interceding for someone else. And, and you love them and you love God. And what you want is you want what's best for them. So you're asking God to pour his best into their lives. And so intercessory prayer is powerful. And you see, this is his motivation. 
He wants God to, to continue to do what he is doing in their life. Now, just think about the people in your life. Think about, think about your coworkers. Think about your neighbors. Think about your extended family. Think about your kids and your grandkids. Do you want God moving in their life? Do you want them, you want to see God moving in such a way that their faith is growing stronger, that they're, that they're growing in love, that they're growing in their hope for eternal life? Is that what you want? If so, then, then you need to be praying. And the thing about intercessory prayer is this, that if you're going to be a prayer warrior, if you're going to be an intercessor, if you're going to be a man of prayer or a woman of prayer, listen church, it's going to take a little time. It's going to require an investment of time for you to intercede and pray for other people. It's going to, it's going to cost you more than just a popcorn prayer you know, while you're standing in line at Starbucks. You know what I'm saying? Like, and that's good. It's good to do that. But when I, what I'm talking about when I mention intercessory prayer is really kind of going into your closet and going to war for someone else. Really getting on your knees and on your face before God. And you're not going to let God go until he blesses whoever it is you're praying for. That's what I mean by intercessory prayer. And I know it, it's... It's totally countercultural because we live in such an instant gratification society. You know, we want things and we want them right now. But that's not how the prayer life works, right? It, it's, it's not how intercessory prayer works. God, God draws us into it and he, he wants to build our faith and he wants to build our time with him. And, and so it's going to require a sacrifice for us to become intercessors for others. You know, Luann and I have a I have a dear friend in our church who prays for our children. And uh, she is a, she's a prayer warrior. She is an intercessor. And uh, I, I'm not exaggerating when I say we've seen at least two dozen answers to prayer in the lives of our kids. And God ain't done yet. Can I get an amen? amen. And, so, and so this dear friend spends so much time praying for our kids. And it's just mind-blowing to me. And we've just seen answer after answer after answer after answer. And um, the thing is, church, you need someone like that in your life. And you need to be that for someone in your life. You know, we talk about having 3 a.m. friends around here, somebody that you can call when you need them at 3 a.m. You also need a 3 a.m. prayer warrior. Somebody who will be up at 3 a.m. praying for you when you need it the most. See, that's, that's what I'm talking about, that kind of intercessory prayer. Somebody that, somebody will go into the war room for you and go boldly before the throne of grace asking for God's blessing on your, on your behalf. You know, uh, as you know, Pastor Adam mentioned, you know, this Friday's Food Truck Friday. We, we would love for you to come to that, um, not because there's just going to be great food and fun and fellowship. There will be, but church, we, we have a design, we have an agenda behind it. You know what I'm saying? Like, we want you to, we want you to build friendships and make connections. And then what happens is as those friendships grow over time, you share prayer requests. You start to share life together. You start to become intercessors for one another. That's really our agenda with it. And, uh, and so I know that it can be challenging for introverts and it's challenging for extroverts in an event like that. Um, but that's, that's what we're trying to do, to have a very warm, relationally warm church. And so you need to be here Friday. 
And so, and so really that's what Paul's motivation is. He, he just has a passion. He just has a fire to see God do more in the lives of the Christians at Colossae. And I think, I think what I want to do is just challenge you to, you know, to an examination of your motivation. Do you believe in the power of prayer? Will you go to war for someone else? You know, do you believe that when you pray, God moves? Because that's, that's really the heart of this. This is, this is at the heart of why Paul mentions this so many times. So here's the question. How can we grow in this motivation to pray? Well, I think, I think the answer to that, again, is the word of God. I think we need to get dialed in to the promises of God in prayer. I really do. Let me show you some. Let me just show four. I just picked out four of them. And hopefully this will be an encouragement to you. But notice, notice what Jesus says in Matthew 6, 6. But when you pray, go into your room, shut the door, and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. He will reward you. How about 1 John 5, 14 and 15? And this is the confidence that we have toward him. And this was the, really the confidence the Apostle Paul had. And that is this, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request that we've asked of him. What, ama- what an amazing promise. Look at this next one. Let us, let us draw near. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and, and find grace to help in time of need. That's Hebrews 4, 16. What about Matthew 7, 7 through 11? I love this. This is my favorite one. This is the one I use when I'm leaning in in my prayers before God. This is the one, this is the promise that I raise before him. Ask and it'll be given to you. Seek and you'll find. Knock and the door will be open to you. For everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds and the one who knocks, it will be opened. Or, or which one of you, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more then will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? What a great promise. You see, these are the promises of God, church. You know, uh, I've quoted Charles Spurgeon so much, I, I, I just love studying about his life. Charles Spurgeon was a preacher in the 1800s in England. He's They call him the prince of preachers. He's one of the greatest preachers in the history of the church. Thousands of people would come hear him every time he preached uh, before, you know, the emergence of even uh, mega churches. I mean, this is in the 1800s. And so literally thousands of people would come to hear him preach. He was really known for his, his incredible preaching, but he was also known for his private and public prayer life. I mean, he was a man committed to prayer. And he writ- he's written a little book on on prayer, and he talks about using the promises of God while you pray, claiming the promises of God as you're in the presence of the Father and leaning on them. And this is what Charles Spurgeon says about using the promises of God in prayer. He says, God doesn't give us his word merely to quiet our noise and to keep us hopeful for a while with the intention of putting us off at last. That's kind of what we think, right? But Spurgeon says, but when he speaks, he speaks because he means to act. And he acts through us as we are praying. He prays through us as, as, we, are, as we are praying and interceding. So, so I think this is what Paul understood. I think this is what's driving him and motivating him to pray for people that he's never even met before. 
So that was his motivation. But let me show you, secondly, his continuation. Look, go back to verse 9. Notice what he says. He says, and so from the day we heard, we've not ceased to pray for you. You see that? You notice his continuation there? What he's talking about here is we, we, I, we just continually pray for you. Now, he's not saying that he prays 24-7, you know, because that's not practical. That's not possible. That's not even what God requires. But I think what the Apostle Paul is alluding to here is instead of just kind of praying haphazardly, he prays, he prays regularly. He, pays, he prays faithfully. He prays consistently. In other words, prayer was a, a continual part of his life. It was, it was a discipline in his life. That's what he's alluding to here. That it was such a high priority that it was a significant part of every day for him. And so that's how he can say, we have not ceased praying for you because literally they haven't ceased praying for them. That's why Paul commands us to pray. Just a couple of chapters over in Colossians chapter 4, verse 2, he, he's challenging the Colossian Christians, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. See, that's an exhortation. That's an imperative. And then 1 Thessalonians 5, 17, Paul says, pray without ceasing. And so what he's trying to do is he's trying to impress upon them, he's trying to impress upon us that prayer is not optional. That prayer is critical. It's essential for growth in the Christian life. If you're going to move from spiritual immaturity to maturity, prayer has got to be at the center of that. And so that's what he's calling them to. He's calling them to a life of continual prayer. So, and so if that's going to be a part of our life, if continuation is a part of our life, church, then, then our prayer life really needs, you know, to have a piece of our day every day. It really does. It's that important. And let me, let me just give you, a, let me give you three very practical words to help you grow in discipline in your prayer life, all right? So if you want to write these down, uh, that, would, that, would be, that would be a, uh, a good word of encouragement to you. Here's the first one. You need to plan. You need to plan. If you're going to pray continuously like Paul, you need to have a plan. And the thing that I know, church, if we don't plan, we're not going to pray. If we don't have a plan, we're not going to pray. And so, you know, at least you won't pray in a, on a continual basis. I think a lot of times what happens is we're, we're at a stoplight and, uh, you know, the kids are a mess and our finances are out of control and our marriage is struggling. We're at a stoplight and we have a moment to think. We're like, oh, man, I haven't prayed in a long time. Oh, Lord, just help my kids and, you know, bless me financially and bless my marriage. And, and, so, and so there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, I do that. But church, let's, let's be honest about it. It's, it's not communion with God. You, you know what I'm saying? You tracking with me? And, uh, and, and, so, and so we need a plan for when we're going to pray. We, we need a plan for where we're going to pray. And, and, so, and so the reason why we, we don't persevere in prayer is because we simply lack the plan. And so when you develop that plan, what you want to do is follow through with that plan and following through there's a word for that it's called commitment and you just you just you just stay with it you know jesus jesus had a plan for his prayer life let me show the show you this in mark 135 
Mark records this of Jesus, and rising very early in the morning while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. See, that's Jesus. See, he had a plan. He had a plan. What's your plan to pray this week? I know that tomorrow at 5.15, I'm going to get up. I'm going to let the dog out. So when you're asked who let the dogs out, you, you know who that it was me, right? Um, and I'm going to grab my cup of coffee, which is the elixir of life. <laughs> and then I'm going to start praying about 525. And I'm not going to be done until about 6, 605. That's what I'm going to do. That's what I've been doing. And you know what? That works for me. It may not work for you. But you need to have a plan for what works for you. You could pray at noon. You could pray on your lunch hour. You, you could, you know, you can pray, you know, a few minutes before you go to bed. It probably help you, you know, to sleep or whatever. But, but you need, you need to develop a plan. What's, what's your plan going to be? And I realize, church, that, you know, for me just talking about this, I know that there are a lot of you, you've never done this before. So you're not alone if you just feel like you're just starting this prayer journey. I, I would encourage you to take I don't know, 10 or 15 minutes. Just commit to 10 to 15 minutes every day. It's better to pray 10 to 15 minutes every day than it is to pray once a week for 60. Because that consistency really brings you into the presence of God and impacts every single day. So I would encourage you just to start small with it. Start the process, but be firmly committed to it. So develop a plan to pray. Secondly, I would challenge you to protect that time, protect that plan. You've got to protect your time alone with God. And so to pray continually, you, you can't, listen to me at this, church, you, you can't live by your emotions or your feelings or your circumstances. You have to live by conviction. And that's what we see what is exactly what drove the Apostle Paul. He knew that when he prayed, God works. He knew when he prayed, when he prays, God moves. And so you need to protect that time. And, and you don't need to focus on your feelings or your emotions or your circumstances. Listen, if you focus on that, the enemy will make sure you never feel like praying. He will go out of his way to make sure that you don't feel like it. And so you just have to say, this is, this is a commitment that I'm making with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. You know, the, one of the greatest ways that you can protect your time is just to shut your phone off. Just to turn off your phone for that 10 to 15 minutes, 30 minutes, whatever it is. You're not going to check Facebook. You know, you're not going to check the news. You're not going to check email. You're going you're gonna, to you're gonna turn the phone off. And you're going to be with your Lord and Savior. You see, you know, we talk about how divided our country is. You know what the biggest division is? It's not political. The biggest division is our attention span. We are people who struggle at focused attention because we're so distracted. And we've got to put these computers down and move away if we're going to experience communion with God, life with God. We've got to put them down. And so that's a great way that you can protect. Lastly, I would say this, you need a plan, you need to protect that plan, and then you need to pray the scriptures. 
I want to encourage you to pray the scriptures. And so this is really going back to that if you want to get traction in your prayer life, let the scriptures guide and shape and form your praying. I think uh, Christians who really are beginning on the path of prayer sometimes will pray for everything that they can think of. They pray for everything under the sun. And then they look at their watch and it's only been three to four minutes. Anybody ever done that? You're like, and is there anything more frustrating than that? Anything more defeating than that? And so a great way to overcome that is just simply praying the scriptures. Because what happens is they focus your mind, they focus your heart, and, and they, they usher you into the presence of God because they are God-breathed. And so you could take the prayers of the Apostle Paul that we're going to look at, we're, that we're going to be looking at in this series, and you can make that your model for prayer. I've been praying Colossians you know, 1, 9 through 14 for the last three weeks. I've been praying it for my children, you know, for my, for my own self. I've been praying it for all of you, and we're going we're gonna to look at it in just a minute. But you could use the prayers of Paul as, you know, a format for your praying. You could use the Lord's Prayer. The disciples went to Jesus and they asked him, Lord, will you teach us to pray? And he gave them the Lord's Prayer, which is really not a prayer to be prayed as much as it is a model for how we are to pray. And it's fascinating because if you read the story of Martin Luther, he would pray every day the Lord's Prayer for two hours. Because what he would do is he'd pray one line and then he would expand it. And he'd pray another line and he would expand it. And he would, it would take him two hours to work through the Lord's Prayer. And then all of a sudden, your whole prayer life is opening it up and getting, getting traction. And you're experiencing the sweetness of God's, God's presence and joy in your life. So you need a plan, you need to protect that plan, and you need to pray the scriptures. And so that's, that is really the continuation that we see in the Apostle Paul. Well, lastly, here's the third element we see of, of powerful praying, and it's this. We see his demonstration. Go to, go to verse 9. Now what he's going to do here is he's going to show us, he not only tells us that he's been praying for these Colossian Christians, but he tells us what he's been praying for. So this is just gold. This is a gold mine for you to just pull this right out and lay it on your kids and grandkids, right? And lay it, you know, lay it right on uh, your neighbors and your friends and especially, especially your church. So notice what he says in verse 9. Notice the prayer request that he lays before God. And so from the day we heard, we've not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with a knowledge of his will. Now, you see that prayer request? He's praying that the Colossian Christians would be filled with the knowledge of his will. Now, church, a lot of times I think when we talk about the will of God, we immediately think that that has to do with some big decision that we have to make in the future, like who we're going to marry or some big financial decision we're going to make or something with our job or, uh, you know, what church we're going to attend. And we think it, the will of God is automatically talking about just some major decision and that's a part of it but if but if that's where it stops for you then that's a misunderstanding because you see the will of God in the New Testament really has to deal with for the most part walking in obedience to God it, that's really what the will of God is for us that he's given us his word he's given us life through his word and he wants us to follow that path and follow 
that life. That's the will of God for you. And, and you can see an example of this. You don't have to turn there, but in 1 Thessalonians 5, you know, Paul will say, he says to the Thessalonians, he says, rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. So what is God's will for you? Well, for you to rejoice always, pray continually, and give thanks in all circumstances. Now, should you pray about your vocation and financial decisions and, you know, what church you're going to attend? Absolutely. But just understand the will of God is so much bigger than that. So, he, so he's praying that for the Colossian Christians, that they would know, that they would be filled with the knowledge of the will of God. But notice, notice what he says. He says this, in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. You see that? So he's praying that they would have spiritual wisdom and understanding with the knowledge of the will of God that they have. So what he's talking about there is this. We need the wisdom of God to take what we know of the will of God and apply it to our life every day. So in other words, what, is, what does the word of God say about how I'm to relate to my spouse? Well, we need the wisdom of God to work that out in everyday life. That I'm going to love her, I'm going to serve her, I'm going to lay down my life for her. That's what it means practically. That takes spiritual wisdom and understanding. Um, in the same way in your job, in the same way in your parenting, in the same way of every area of your life. We need the wisdom of God to know how to apply the truth of God to our everyday life. That's what he is praying for right here. And so, um, so when you think about, you know, what's going on in our culture today, you know, just the issue of sexuality alone. So many high school and middle school and college students are struggling, just absolutely confused over what the culture says about our sexuality today. And what we need to be praying for our kids and our grandkids is that they would be filled with the knowledge of his will with all spiritual wisdom and understanding to navigate the confusion of this dark world. That's what we need to be praying for. And, uh, and so that's just a prime example right there. And then notice what he says is the end game of that kind of prayer. He says this, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. All right, now think about that. What is our goal? Our goal is to walk in a, in a, in a manner that's worthy of him. And so what is worthy of God? What in our life is worthy of him? Is it half-heartedness? No. Is it just kind of going through the motions of our faith and our relationship with God? No, that's not worthy of him. You know, is it trusting in our righteousness and in our goodness and just kind of being proud of how good we are? No, that's not worthy of him. What is worthy of him? What's worthy of him is giving all of ourselves to him. Like giving our entire life to him. And then he says this, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him. That, that we would live our life in such a way that would please him. That would make God smile. That would bring honor and glory to him. And so am I pleasing to Jesus where I work? Am I pleasing to Jesus in my marriage? Am I pleasing to Jesus in my relationships, you know, in my friendships. And so, and so that's, what he's, that's what he's praying for them, that they would learn this because 
There's nothing more important than this. Now, what I think he does is he kind of sketches out what it looks like to live a life worthy of the Lord and to be pleasing with him. He gives kind of four characteristics here. Uh, Notice what he says. He says, uh, bearing fruit in every good work is verse 10. So so, So a life that's pleasing to him means that we're bearing fruit. You know, that we're doing good works. And then out of those good works flow love and joy and peace. That's what he's praying for. Uh, that's, that's huge. Uh, and, then, and then not only that, but that they, that, that they would increase in the knowledge of God. That's a great prayer. It's a great way to please God, that I'm just growing in my knowledge of God. I'm increasing in my knowledge of God. Do you, do you guys know what, what's really interesting is that when we get to heaven, we're never going to stop learning about God. Isn't that, amazing? Isn't that mind-blowing to you? That even in heaven, we're going to be increasing in the knowledge of God because God is infinite and we are not. That is mind-blowing to me. And so what Paul is praying here is, hey, let's get started right now. Let's get going right now. Let's don't waste any time. And then he says this. He prays this. This is part of a life that's pleasing to him. That you would be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for endurance and patience and joy. Do you know why he's praying that? Because life is hard. Life is really hard. God is good, but life is hard. And you know what we need? We need endurance and strength and patience under the circumstances that a broken world, you know, kind of lays right on top of us. Does that make sense? How many of you need strength to endure right now? Yeah, raise your hand. Yeah, absolutely. That's what he's praying for. And then, and then this, he says, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints of light. So, so in other words, he's just, he's just really talking about that they would just be filled with gratitude for everything in their life. And so thanksgiving pleases Jesus. And it's more than just one day out of the year. Let me just tell you that, right? I mean, if, if we're not constantly giving thanks, that, that would be a catastrophic loss of perspective. If we're just not constantly giving thanks. Because there's always something to thank God for. I mean, when you think about, when you think about this, and this is, this is how he ends. He ends with the gospel. He ends this section with the gospel. And when you think about what God has done, God perceived our biggest need. And God met that need. And that's just incredible. God knew we didn't need a politician. If we needed a politician, he would have sent one. God knew we didn't need an educator. If he knew we needed an educator, he would have sent one, right? And, and, and God, God knew we didn't, you know, that our problem wasn't economic. If it was, he would have sent an economist, right? God knew that our greatest need involved our sin, our rebellion, and our alienation from God. So you know what he did? He sent a Savior. And, and what, did, what did that Savior do? Let me show it to you in verse 13. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness, you know what that means? We were behind enemy lines. We were, man, we were behind enemy lines. We were the enemy. And he, he rescued us. He pulled us out of that. And he transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. So, so now we're out of the kingdom of darkness, and now we're into a brand new kingdom. We have a new king, and we're, we're now royalty with that king. That's what he's talking about. 
And then in verse 14, in whom we have redemption, that we've been purchased, that we no longer belong to ourselves. And then lastly, we've been forgiven of our sins, which really means I don't know what's in your past. I, I don't know what, you've, what you did last week or last month or last year. But if you're in Christ, that's been washed by the blood of the Lamb, and that is really, really good news. And so that's really our motivation for living a life worthy of Him. He gave all for us, so the life worthy of Him is, is a life given back to Him. And so that's, I don't know about you, but I'm praying this for me, I'm praying this for my family, and I'm praying this for you. Because if you have this, you have everything you need. You really do. Everything else will take care of itself. So I just want to challenge you this morning, church. Take a step this week. I don't know what your step will be, but take a step in prayer. It may be you're going to plan a time. It may be you're going to ask someone what you can pray for them about. And you're going to just be diligent for them. Whatever that step is, I want to challenge you to do that. Everybody get it? Good. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we, we just ask, God, that, that you would fill us with the knowledge of your will, with all spiritual wisdom and understanding. And God, I pray that that we would walk in a manner worthy of you. That we would please you in every way. God, that we would bear fruit in every good work. That we would increase in the knowledge of God. Lord, I know that there are many here that are struggling they just feel defeated and are weak. And I just ask that you would strengthen them with all power according to your glorious might. That they would have all endurance and patience with joy. And I pray, God, that you would fill us to overflowing with gratitude. That we would thank you for your grace, that we would thank you for your sacrifice, that we would thank you for the gift of every day, for the gift of relationships, the gift of sunshine and a, and a beautiful day. God, that we would overflow with thanksgiving. And so God, would you do that in us today? You are our living hope. And we give you praise and glory in all of God's people said, amen and amen. Let's